I want to talk about Jägermeister. Dad, what do you know about Jägermeister? I mean, well, really, all I know, it's got a really awesome stag logo. What, what else do I need to know about Jägermeister? Well, uh, you should know that you've been drinking it all wrong this entire time. Damn, that's cold. There's a right and wrong way to drink it? Yes, there is, Dad. You should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit, to be exact. Huh? Well, you know what? That explains a lot. I've just been pulling it straight off the shelf. Oh, Dad, I'm so glad I got to you in time. No, that is entirely wrong. The only way to serve Jägermeister is ice cold. So wherever you're at, if you're hanging out with friends or you're at the bar or you're helping your dear sweet father try and get right, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. You're listening to DraftKings Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. That is me. With me, as always, on the ones and twos, Brandon Newman. Brandon, how we doing? Doing well, Mike. Uh, he has risen. <laughs> he has risen indeed. I hope everyone enjoyed their Easter Sunday, uh, even if Brandon and I were both playing uh, Hurt on Easter Sunday. Hangovers on holidays are tough business, man. That's what I found out this weekend. It's this perfect time for them because you don't have much to do. But um, when you have Rugrats, uh, it's it's a bit of a time because there is no hangover for them. That's what I was going to ask. And really, it's more an observation. It's a constant reminder for me because now, like you, a lot of our friends also have kids. A lot of the people that I hang out with have kids. And so when we go out and tie one on, and this weekend went out with every intention of just going for a couple of cocktails, catching up with some of our friends from college, and ended up getting pulled into a 37th birthday party that was one of the wildest excursions for any numbered birthday I have ever seen in my life. These people came in, took over the bar, adopted us as a part of their friends group. I ended up going into a whole other bar with them and wow. paid the price for it dearly the next day. It was an incredible amount of fun. It was one of those nights that you can't plan for and that's what makes it so good. But on the back Amen, side brother. of that, Amen. part of why we were enjoying that night is because our friends, uh, Dane, uh, Dane and Hillary, friends of the podcast, yes. had a babysitter. Big Anytime mom and dad got a babysitter, bang, shit's bang. getting ready to pop off. Mom and dad are yes, ready sir. to get loose. We are delete. Like, we were full college mode, deleting Coors Lights. I got <laughs> drunk maybe for the first time in a decade and a half on just beer. There was nothing else that went into my wow. system but beers all night. It was just me and Coors Lattes going to town all evening. And we're getting the babysitter to stay even later for them so they can stay out. Everyone's wow. having a great time. And then I wake up the next day in hell, obviously, because I'm 33 and drinking alcohol, which is now hard. Then I thought about them 
who have a wonderful two-year-old son who I was going to see later that day at Easter brunch and had already been up for three hours by the time I started texting them that day. Like, Brandon, I, I, I truly don't know how you guys do that portion of life. Like, how you can convince yourself that going out and having fun is still worth it when on the backside, you've got a tiny dictator that's getting ready to run your life. It's very easy, Mike. You abstain. You don't do the nonsense. You just pull yourself away from that lifestyle until you get pulled back in and you're like, oh, yeah, this is why I don't do this. Like, I, I was... I was in Naples, Florida, uh, seeing a comedian, Pete Lee, shouts out to him. He invited me out to the bar afterwards. We went out for some. Mike, I remember asking myself what I used to ask myself in college. I was like, is it beer before liquor or liquor before beer? Like, I, I, did, I had to do the math because I had already started off with Woodford Reserve and I didn't know what I needed to do next, but I was inebriated before my party even got to the bar. Yeah, which is I used to be the right way to go because it was, oh, I want to get drunk at home with cheaper stuff before I get the marked yes. out prices when I'm out somewhere. That used to be the way that you would defeat it. Now it's just setting yourself up for disaster if you're pre-gaming before you go out somewhere because the idea is to just lessen the volume overall. Like the beer before liquor, all that stuff. Now it's just, can I stick to one thing all night and can I drink a lot less of it than I used to? That's really the only math that matters for us. <laughs> Very true. True. And to tie back into the child portion of it that you asked me about, when you're in that state, loud noises, quick movements, um, all the things that come with oh. children are, it just seems like they're elevated. It's like the child is on Super Saiyan mode or in Super Saiyan mode, just being a child because you're dealing with all the internal quiet things that, that you go through when you're just slightly overserved the next day. Or the next day from being yeah, slightly over the, the hung the hangover anxiety that creeps in and you're right your kid just got the gold star power up in mario and the depth <laughs> so the holiday is a double-edged sword because on one side what do you want when you're hung over you want a bunch of stuff to drink potentially a little bit of the hair of the dog and a bunch of you know dense greasy food a lot of carbs to help sop it up and a yes. lot of those tend to come around the holidays you tend to get big meals you tend to get a little bit of booze that's back there if you want to kind of True. use some of that to mitigate the results but from the people that are hung over as parents like you, you've also got an expectation that you're going to deliver on a promise. And that's not a promise you made. That's a promise either religion or society made that you got to now carry out the task for. And so <laughs> Jesus isn't there helping you hide eggs around the backyard. Jesus isn't there helping you put together a playscape at three o'clock in the morning on Christmas Eve. And so parents <laughs> who in those situations, maybe because it's around the holidays and you're around your friend, your family and friends find themselves a little intoxicated you got responsibilities that next day and i guess every day you're hungover but holidays seem to add that extra little bit because you really got to put on for your city with everything that goes along with that holiday yes but i think easter like thanksgiving is a good time to do that where it's like if someone else is cooking and doing the things and all you do really need to do is just be present it's 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 easy it's easier to handle and to do mike and I'll say that, I, you know, we're blessed. We're blessed. I, honestly, the, the the thought of being able to go out and have a babysitter to feel like you're in college once again, to, to be able to be served at all, it's a good time. We'll take it. We'll take it nine times out of ten, regardless of the bounce back that it takes on the other end. 
it's definitely a good time. It did just make me very happy that uh, our friends didn't take me up on my offer to dress up as the Easter Bunny to surprise their uh, their two year old son because I would have vomited inside an Easter Bunny suit a hundred percent with how I was feeling and what's required of that activity wise. What's required to entertain kids would have puked all over the inside of that. So everybody won by me not being a six foot four Easter Bunny. You would have been much taller, Mike. Those ears, you would have been monstrously tall. <laughs> My God, we hope ev- we hope everyone got out of the weekend alive. We got a great show for you guys today. As always, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, and review. Leave us a five-star rating and check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel under the Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. tab. Um, plenty to get into. The NBA playoffs are now set, but that hasn't stopped people from tanking and punching their teammates. Ooh. The Baltimore Ravens finally realized there's a cost to doing business and made a signing, not the signing, but a signing that could yeah. go towards the signing. Uh, but Brandon, before we get to all that, the Masters, fi- against all odds, the way this weekend meant for the Masters, actually managed to finish. This was one of the more chaotic tournaments for this particular major that we have seen, considering it involved not one but two rain delays, multiple trees falling down amidst the bad weather at Augusta National, and then a 30-hole marathon to finish things off on Sunday that ultimately ended with John Rahm hoist, or I should say hoisting that, donning his first green yes. jacket uh, at the end of all that. So congratulations to John Rahm, who we have to acknowledge, and shame on me, I've done a bad job celebrating John Rahm for what he represents. He's a beef golfer. 6'2", about 220, and you could see sturdy build. He's thick all the way through. It's not really a dad bod because he doesn't look soft, but he's not jacked like we've seen with Brooks Kepka, where it looks defined or hard. He's just solid. He has big time, like, I would say division one offensive lineman energy. Like, not a guy that's probably going to play on Sundays physique-wise, but just sturdy all the way through. Yeah, it's one of those, I'm thinking D1 fullback tight end. Like man, maybe I'm, I'm maybe too much. Maybe not too much D one. Maybe D, maybe more D two. Like Cal use check or, uh, but you know the type. I forgot the if there's a specific name for that that weapon. The the Taysom Hills before Taysom Hills existed. Yeah, I think you just put ATH. Well, usually it's ATH, but I guess because they're bigger, you wouldn't call it an athlete as much as you would call it just a football player. Like, we don't yeah, know what he skill. is. Just a football player. Right. Yeah, John Rom is John Rom is definitively big skill, and yes. he put that on display. He's been a golf destroying robot. He's been one of the guys in the group between him, Scotty Scheffler, who was last year's champion, um, that have jockeyed and occupied the number one world number one spot. John Rom will be back at world number one after this tournament. I saw Brandon the coolest stat about that was ESPN according to ESPN stats and info. That victory is the first time that a current world number one put the green jacket on the player that would be replacing him. So Scotty Scheffler, who won it last year, who was the current world number one, as is the ceremony after the match, you got to go put the green jacket on the new guy. And so it was the first time ever that he was not only handing the green jacket that he won last year to John Rahm, but also symbolically the world number one ranking that would now be his. So pretty cool there. John Rahm uh, has also now the second highest single season earning in PGA history at 13.29 mil behind Scotty Scheffler's $14 million from last year. So big tournament weekend for him but uh brandon 
in I think overall for the tournament, right? We talked about a lot of the stuff that went on with the live guys there. You had Phil Mickelson finished tied for second with Brooks Kepka, who was also, you know, two of the live guys there. Patrick Reed was firmly in the mix and playing really well for the majority of that tournament. One where we saw Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy, two of the guys that we talked about as the face of the PGA initiative on the other side, one and Tiger have to pull out early. Uh, citing plantar fasciitis in his foot, looked miserable out there, walking down in that torrential downpour that was going on on Saturday. That was hard to watch. That was hard to watch and kind of what we talked about. Tiger being around and making cuts feels like that's as good as we're going to get at this point because as soon as he missed on the opportunity to get while the getting was good on the good weather first round, we got into the middle of that and saw his body breaking down in front of us in a way that was deeply uncomfortable. And so for that, for Rory not to be able to get this green jacket elephant off his back, you had on the other side, I think uh, 12 of the players from the Live Tour, the 18 that were in this tournament, ended up making the cut. And all those names that we just talked about, Phil Mickelson, who looks like he has done nothing but eat cigarettes and sit in a dark room since we saw him last time around, actually went out there and played really good golf, shot the best score at the tournament, a final round 65. He was seven under on Sunday as they went through and played 30 holes because they had to make up the round that got cut off on Saturday, Sunday morning, so that they could finish the tournament on Sunday so it was it was chaotic but at the end of the day it was a really good showing for the guys that we hadn't seen in a while on the live tour and this reminder that a lot of the points that we're probably going to try and make about this are going to be overblown and that a lot of these guys still have some very good golf in them and when it comes to the majors especially at Augusta know the course pretty well a lot of these guys like Brooks like Patrick Weed are guys that have won there Phil Mickelson and so that familiarity seemed to definitely benefit them even if the format they've been playing over there and the eyeballs on them haven't quite been the same it's proof that practice is practice regardless who who's watching if a tree falls at the Masters does anyone hear it yes a lot of people do and have to be sent home for safety uh, but Phil Mickelson Shout out to the Bob Dove Sports guys. Was having a day, like it, it was insane to see mm. that old body making plays like that, and on then and on the other end, seeing Tiger Woods limp like he's walking on a waterbed. It, it was tough to to watch, but it was it was pretty cool to see that the live golfers are just golfers and they're professional golfers for a reason and as long as they have a chance to show out in the Masters, they're probably going to perform like this. Yeah, Not the and, Masters and at I the mean, majors. At the majors is what I mean. Yeah, no, for sure. And the Masters, you know, being the first major falls into that. And it is interesting to think about it because you could spin it as a win for them. Absolutely. If you were trying to say that, I think it's going to be pretty muted overall. I'll be curious to see how much of this shine in the coming week and the coming days, really, because we know how the news cycle works. The NBA playoffs are getting started. How much shine Phil Mickelson gets? Because everyone's going to talk about Brooks Kepka, who had a four-shot lead going into the final round, and then I think failed to cart a birdie on 22 consecutive holes since they had to play 30 on Sunday. It was an ugly stretch. He ended up giving it up to John Rahm and then falling back far enough to tie it with um, with Phil Mickelson. But for Brooks, he was in the driver's seat, so I feel like he's going to shoulder a lot of that. Obviously, for him, you can go back to the full swing episode where talked a lot about his health, talked a lot about how his body had been failing and his game had been failing at that point, and it had kind of shaken, shaken his confidence a little bit. But he was a guy who also on Friday, when he got asked about this, said he was happy with his decision to sign with Liv, but also admitted that the decision would have been a lot tougher had he been healthy 
at the time mm. and playing his best ball on the tour. So very candid and doesn't really, I think, help further anyone's argument one way or another other than to just underscore the fact that Brooks Kepka really likes playing in majors and Brooks Kepka, when he's healthy and when he's physically capable, still has really good golf in him, which was kind of the question that people have been asking for the last couple of years just because of the severity of those injuries. And so that's going to be a huge part of the story. But Phil Mickelson tying for second at the Masters, considering all of the trouble he made for himself in this decision yeah. to go to live, how badly he had been playing since he had been over there on the live tour and then coming out here to play as well as he did. I know that performance in actually winning the PGA and doing what he did to be the oldest player to do so a couple of years ago was historic, but him having this kind of performance is pretty insane considering the circumstances. Absolutely. And like you said, it is a win. But before the storyline goes to him, everyone's talking about John Rahm and his affiliation with two very popular NFL tight ends. Yeah, so this is where it gets interesting because as always... So John I will I won't say this. J.J. Watt didn't necessarily do this all on his own, but J.J. Watt ends up still being in the center of the action. So... What surprise, we had surprise. was at the end of the round when John Rahm, beef golfer, all-around guy that we now support on the show because of his stature, got to the podium, he did say he wanted to give a special thanks to Zach Ertz, the former Super Bowl winning tight end for the Philadelphia Eagles, now Arizona Cardinals, who texted him before the round and told him to have a day and said first hole looks like a walk in the park. For anyone that forgets, that first hole John Rahm four-putted. He carded a double bogey on the first hole and then proceeded to turn it on and have a great rest of the first day and a great rest of the tournament. And he asked Zach to never do that again. Well, apparently J.J. Watt didn't like the fact that he was on that text thread and didn't get named because he went to Twitter to do his version of journalism and post the receipts from a group chat called Birdies and Babies with John Rahm, him, and Zach Erse, where it had that conversation laid out into it. J.J. Watt chimed in and said, pretend like you're playing with Zach and I and you'll set the course record. He posted their side chat after that first hole. Uh, where John Rahm bombed out. But Brandon, I don't think anyone's surprised. J.J. Watt in retirement, a lot of free time, has been very giving of content on the internet. But exposing the group chat name is always an interesting one because a lot of those are inside jokes, things that work well between everyone else. When you show them to the light of day, that's usually when the roasting begins. So where are you at on Birdies and Babies as a capable group chat name? You know what? As, as a father, I love it. I love it. I think it's a little bit generous for John Rahm to include two football players in there. Like, I would expect a little bit more golf action in there. But, you know, it's your friends. And I'm probably I, – I bet a lot of money that J.J. Watt named the group. So, I have to give some bail there. And I bet J.J. Watt names every group Ooh. that's in his phone. He's 100% the guy because you know how every group chat starts is it's usually a crime of necessity. It's, hey, I need all these people to get on the same page for this thing we're about to do. And reading the tea leaves here, I don't know if John Rahm makes his home in Arizona, but he went to ASU, I think met his wife at ASU. They've got a couple young kids. You've obviously okay. had JJ and Zach both move out to the desert for their late career team switch. And so maybe at some point they all got connected to do this round of golf. But then there is that point where the next day after 
after whatever the event was someone fires that first text in to keep it going and then you see group chat name was changed to blank and jj watt 100 strikes me as the guy that would be first to market on that you're absolutely right it's sad but you know it's definitely on brand and i love that in the moment john rom forgot to mention jj watt and jj watt had to you know do his raise his hand like guys i'm here too like that it's it's I thought I was going to hear his name, and then I heard Super Bowl winning tight end, and I was our Super Bowl winning football player. I was like, "Wait a minute, JJ Watt didn't? I uh, got cut out, got got boxed out." That that being that being said, I think golf JJ is one of his best forms. Obviously, Taylor Swift fan JJ Watt has jumped to number one of the power rankings after he went to the opening night of the Eras Tour in Arizona. Yeah. But we've seen golf JJ Watt, him and Charles Barkley together covering the match was dynamite television i thought some of the best like public pr jj's ever done so more of him around golf i'm not necessarily mad at yeah that but that's the hot girl next to the ugly girl thing where like charles barkley everybody around charles barkley looks great I don't know. I think that's just one of these things where when guys get around the thing that's not their job, it's the Bill Belichick lacrosse theory. People just let their hair down a little bit and people start giving you a different part of them than they've had to in their other life. And so in honor of this, Brandon, do you have a lot of group chats that have names? Uh, Yes, but no. Yes and no. Mainly no. I've only got a few. I would, th- I think the one I'd be most proud to share with the public, and it's come up before, is with Mina Kimes and Dan Orlovsky. Uh, it's a group chat, a group chat called the Fence Jump Fans, because it was dedicated to the season of uh, The Bachelor, where Clayton was the Bachelor, and all season long they kept showing the uh, preview. And in one of the episodes at the end where they say coming up on The Bachelor and they show a bunch of clips from the rest of the season, they kept showing over and over again this clip of him jumping over the fence on The Bachelor compound to try and get away from the cameras and get out. (laughs) And we were sitting around waiting for that. And so that text thread has survived long after that season, but has in my mind like the most fun name origin story because that's really what you're looking for is is the origin story interesting enough to give you an easy and creative name? Yeah, I, I I do like especially locale based stuff. You know, I'm, I'm I'm searching through my stuff and it's like Airbnbs with friends, the Boom Chocolata, and that was just the name of the Chocolata loft in in Mexico. You know, just little stuff like that. But yeah, the the, the siblings and all that other stuff is not exciting. And I think I I was late on the iPhone thing. You know this, and I think that kept me out of a lot of yeah, group, we know. group group chats. <laughs> group threads which i'm kind of thankful for now i my my oldest group chat is my one from senior week when we were in college in 2012 and there's nine of us still in there and as i had to explain to someone group chatting didn't really start until around then that feature wasn't added until like 2012 2013 range and so we just called it group text it's still group text to this day which is wholly unoriginal (laughs) and will never change it's like when we were growing up as kids we had a pet cat whose name was kitty we just named him kitty his name at the pound was james but he came home and we were young dumb kids and so we just named him kitty which had to be tremendously traumatizing for a cat to just hear himself called himself over and over again with no sort of originality 
I don't. I like that, Mike. One of my best friends growing up. Uh, shout out to the Miles family. They had a dog. Second dog. First dog was named. It was the Bashan Fries. Am I saying that right? You know, I'm talking about the big white fluffy ones that are on the the can of Caesars. Anyways, uh, first dog's oh, name yeah, Franklin. Yeah. yeah, first dog's name Franklin. Second dog puppy. I mean, it just, that's just that's classic second child syndrome, though. It's like once you get yes. past the novelty of the first one, it's like, ah, right, yeah, you know, the second one's just here. That's puppy. Yeah, Franklin puppy. puppy. Love puppy. <laughs> um, I asked at Michael Jr. on Twitter for your best group chat names. Uh, Jarrett Bailey uh, has a what looks like Snapchat group chat, Dirty Mike and the Boys. Uh, great other guys reference. Always appreciate that. Um. I've seen Meat Sweats Mafia from uh, Lance Walters, which I can greatly appreciate. Um, Sickos from John What Up, though. Obviously, love anything in reference to our friends, uh, the Sickos committees. Um, At Momo Spins, Creed Thoughts, www.creedthoughts.gov, www.creedthoughts. I'm not sure if that's spam or if that's an actual group chat name. Um, no. Big Rig 21, we don't punt. I do like the we, but we don't punt. I got to go back to Creed Thoughts because I'm, I'm thinking it's got to be the office creed and not the band. Well, I was I was thinking the movie. That's actually wow! What an interesting oh, Rorschach wow. test. Say Creed thoughts to someone and figure <laughs> out which Creed they're talking about. Oh, damn! I think about the movie. Damn, that just blew my mind where that came from. But uh, yeah, we don't punt. Said that came from my decision coaching youth football to never punt again. That man is a hero. He is absolutely right. We shouldn't even have punters on youth teams. It's all gas, no breaks out here. Let's freaking go. Goodness, I mean, sometimes you need to flip the field, though, Mike. <laughs> Ooh, Jacob Paulus, Fat Boy Summer as a group chat name. Don't hate it. I like Ooh, that. Marty Moose, bad beats and Velcro cleats. That is something that I feel like is maybe getting phased out. I'd love to see modern football cleats. Are we still doing a lot of Velcro? I Not feel enough. like that was something that was such a staple for all of us, and I don't know if I see that nearly as much anymore in an era where we're basically just turning every Jordan into a cleat. Well, I, yes, Mike, but ironically enough, the last time I saw Velcro on a key, on a cleat, it was a kicking shoe. It was the punt. My punter in high school had a kicking shoe that had a Velcro strap, and like it, it worked. Listen, there is something incredibly functional about Velcro involved in every shoe. As I go on in life and I see little kid shoes now popping up with all of our friends, I'm insanely jealous that they just grip and rip. It's Velcro. We're in and out. We're on with life in a way that I deeply appreciate. Uh, bringing it full circle to finish it off in honor of what we talked about with kids. Uh, Nate Ray 21's group chat. Congrats on the sex to JJ, Will, and Ryan, which I'd imagine is in reference to them becoming dads, as is Kyle Haas's group chat, Dudes Being Dads. So at Gojo Show on Twitter, if you've got any more of those, especially dad-related group chat names. Um, as I did have that sobering moment where I had to explain to someone who was a younger person person asking me about a group chat name from a long time ago that I went to college in an era where we did not have this as a feature. So that's a, that's a way to age yourself without telling people your age if you're so inclined to do that. I want to talk about Jägermeister. Dad, what do you know about Jägermeister? 
I mean, well, really, all I know, it's got a really awesome stag logo. What what else do I need to know about Jägermeister? Well, uh, you should know that you've been drinking it all wrong this entire time. Damn, that's cold. There's a right and wrong way to drink it? Yes, there is, Dad. You should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit, to be exact. Huh? Well, you know what? That explains a lot. i just been pulling it straight off the shelf. Oh, Dad, I'm so glad I got to you in time. No, that is entirely wrong. The only way to serve Jägermeister is ice cold. So wherever you're at, if you're hanging out with friends or you're at the bar or you're helping your dear sweet father try and get right, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. All right, Brandon. uh, Speaking of someone that feels a little bit older than they probably are, the Baltimore Ravens, your Baltimore Ravens, signed Odell Beckham Jr. to a one-year $18 million contract. Uh, just this weekend. Now it's eighteen million dollars overall. Um, it sounds like it is fifteen million dollars guaranteed with some incentives laced in there that could obviously boost it to that eighteen million dollar number. But uh, the Ravens understand the cost of doing business right now, Brandon. In a world where they're sitting around here trying to still figure out what's going to happen with Lamar Jackson and if this is going to break their way. They understand that everything is going to feel like something right now. And while some people may look at that price tag for a receiver that's now had two knee injuries in the last five or so years is coming off a season where he didn't play at all because of that, didn't sign late last year in the season like he had planned to. In I think no small part because some people maybe did have concerns about that. We saw mm-hmm. go work out for a bunch of teams this offseason. $18 million might feel like a lot to some people. I would tend to look at it and say, if you're looking at the wide receiver market and looking at, all right, guys making you know between 15 and 18 million dollars on average per year, you're talking Christian Kirk, Tyler Lockett, Mike Evans, Hunter Renfro, Allen Robinson. Those guys are on the 15 million dollar range. Deontay Johnson, the highest in that range, at about 18.3 million dollars. And so, while it's probably a little bit of an overpay. That's the cost of doing business right now if you're the Baltimore Ravens. you got a quarterback that you need to continue to send the right signals to that while publicly and business-wise you have made it abundantly clear you're kind of open to the possibility of him leaving. We've heard everything from their mouths has been, we want Lamar Jackson to be our quarterback. This is one of those actions that can finally back that up. Saw Lamar Jackson on his Instagram post a picture of him and Odell Beckham Jr. on FaceTime which I'm sure had to have a lot of Baltimore Ravens fans feeling pretty good about this, that quarterback reaching out to that particular player, one that I would imagine people hope he's going to be throwing a lot of passes to. So it sends that message to Lamar Jackson. Hey, we're going to go get another weapon. The Ravens offense has been criticizing for not drafting well at wide receivers. So what do they do? They do what they've always done. Acquire any of their good wide receivers from somewhere else and trade for those guys or sign them in free agency. And they address the offensive coordinator position with Todd Monk in this offseason. So you do send a good message to Odell Beckham Jr. while also just at a base level. Even if you're quarterback agnostic, you're addressing the needs in right now close to the best ways you can. We know it's been a lacking wide receiver free agent market. We've talked a lot about that this offseason. We've talked a lot about how there's not a lot of true outside receiver prospects to get really excited about on the top end of this draft. That's not a position group that's particularly strong or deep this year. 
And so for a team in Baltimore that fancies themselves a win-now team, especially if they can get Lamar Jackson back here, bringing in a veteran player who the last time we saw him coming off a knee injury helped the Los Angeles Rams win a Super Bowl seems like one of those moves that because of where you're at as a team right now, you got to pony up, you got to pay a little bit of that uncomfortable tax that comes with knowing what position you're in to go out and overpay for a guy that's a little bit banged up. But if he hits, could be productive in an offense that has lacked in his particular area and now has gotten a shot of life at the coordinator position from a guy that he knows in working with Todd Munkin in 2019 in Cleveland, albeit Todd Munkin was not calling the plays at that point. That was Freddie Kitchens at the helm for that one, and that wasn't a particularly productive season for that offense. A lot of what's plagued Todd Munkin's teams in the past has been heavy turnovers going back to his time at Tampa and then that season in Cleveland, but If you're looking on the bright side, he went down, called all the plays in Georgia. Things have gone pretty well there. He's a guy that scheme-wise, innovation-wise, what he does, pushing the ball down the field, all positive things that you'd like to see for Lamar Jackson and this Ravens team. And so you bring all of that together, and Brandon, to me, this seems like the move that you have to make right now at this current juncture if you're Baltimore. And then you've just got to hope that the guys that you've still got there, the, you know, Devin Duvernay's of the world and definitely, you know, uh, Rashad Bateman just stay healthy this season and combine that with a veteran presence in that room who's a guy that's been a part of high-level winning, has had five different 1,000-yard seasons and hope that all of that combined effect is enough to finally move the needle for this offense in the areas that aren't Lamar Jackson-related. Yeah, but this area is specifically Lamar Jackson related. So I do have to say the things that I have an issue with right now, the fact that Odell Beckham Jr. is going to a team that was ranked, what did we get, an F in training staff and in health? Yeah. Like that that doesn't make me feel great. And obviously we've already had issues with injuries because the Ravens have an F in their medical staff, but I do think that this version of Odell Beckham Jr. is going to be great for that wide receiver group, the way Juice Landry was great for that wide receiver group in uh, Cleveland Browns when when uh, you're talking about when uh, Kitchens was over there calling plays for, for Cleveland. I think that Todd Munkin is excited uh, about the thing as much as Lamar Jackson and Ravens fans in general. Like, this is the best wide receiver that Baltimore Ravens have, have ever suited up. The person that understands football in the old days would say that one year isn't enough and it scares me, but all these contracts are one-year deals, and I think it's the smart way to do it. I just don't love giving up that much money for them, but you have to go pay for a name like Odell Beckham Jr., who was the face of the NFL at one point in time not too long ago. Yeah, and I don't even think you're paying for the image necessarily. Like You're paying for the potential that's there, and you're paying for what you're what you've got to do relative to the market, right? We knew the Jets were one of the other teams that he potentially talked about. Um, Last year, he made visits to Buffalo, Dallas, uh, and the New York Giants also. And so with all of that hanging in the balance, and especially he, you know, this deal came a day before he was scheduled to visit the New York Jets. And so this is an understanding. Ooh. They didn't want to let him walk out of the building. They overpaid a little bit because they were worried yeah. that Odell Beckham Jr. was going to walk on down to the Jets and be Aaron Rodgers' next receiver. Okay, let me let me put on another hat of being excited. You ready? 
Woo! The Ravens signed OBJ on Resurrection Sunday, baby. I love to see it because guess what? Lamar Jackson's looking and saying, "Ooh, yes. Ooh, maybe I can. I can do something." I got him and Mark Andrews. I really only need two other uh, weapons to do anything with them. So I really do think that Lamar Jackson and OBJ could combine to me. Uh, really rejuvenate both of their careers and prove everyone wrong and maybe even make the bag bigger for themselves on the other end. Like, I love the fact that the Baltimore Ravens stole OBJ and, and is keeping him hostage in the AFC in Baltimore right now while everyone gets a chance to give a evaluation of just how good he is. I think that overall, like... I don't want to give this too much weight in the is it going to help them get Lamar Jackson feeling more comfortable coming back to Baltimore. Ultimately, money is going to solve that problem one way or another. Money and what the market looks like, whatever the other NFL teams that have the opportunity to go and bid for Lamar Jackson looks like. Obviously, I think we'll have an even better clue about that after the or around the draft, especially like we've talked about with a team like the Colts, who seems very much like the one name that's kind of publicly come out here um, interested in Lamar Jackson. Yeah. But it doesn't hurt in that regard, right? To do something, whether you knew it was a player that Lamar Jackson liked or not, whether they have a relationship or not, which clearly we saw they've got enough to pick up the phone and do the congratulations for a guy that could be your teammate this coming fall. Even with all that, it still never hurts to send that message. It still never hurts to show, hey, we're doing the work to change in the areas that you've seen we have struggled to change with. We have struggled to grow with your during your time here. We understand and we've heard we haven't done a good job bringing you uh, weapons. We heard Greg Roman in this offense didn't evolve in the ways that you need. And so all these changes getting met now, even while there has been a little bit of public animosity in the back and forth between Lamar and the team, at least I think does something. There's a value in that, but there's also just a value in general in making your team better in a place that you were deficient in with one of the best options available at this time in the marketplace this offseason. Because we can evaluate these deals against contracts like we talked about from other seasons, against contracts with other teams. You can't always do that in a vacuum. You've got to look at the position that the team is right now, and this team needs to get better in this area in a hurry, and among the resources available, this was going to be one of the best options they had, especially in a win-now mode, and so I I can understand why you would go, and relative to what other people were going to pay, probably have to kick in a little bit more. So you're saying that this is more of a no-brainer than it is a splash signing? I mean, it's still a big splash because it's Odell's name, but as far as what he's going to add to the team, that part is kind of a gamble just because of the injury history of it. Like, that is something that we've talked about that's hard to ignore, but among the moves that were out there, I don't want to say no-brainer, but it was one of the moves that, to me, would indicate, hey, you're serious about improving in this area based on what's available to you right now. So it definitely made sense. I mean, think about how many off-seasons now we've been going through in every off-season and trying to go, oh, well, this free agent receiver would make a good fit for the Ravens, and they never go ahead and do the thing. And so seeing them finally take the plunge, seeing them make meaningful change, to me, that's important. To me, that shouldn't be lost on anybody because we haven't seen that as much lately. Do you think there's any other positions that could get signed that would make Lamar no you already said it. it's the money it's just going to be the money for him because I, I do like the concept of 
giving him incentives and, and actual roster moves to be excited to come back and play with, even under a franchise tag. But if he feels disrespected, then he's not going to do it regardless. Yeah, and to be clear, I still don't think he's playing on the tag. I just don't think that's going to happen. But if he comes back, if they get a, you know, if Lamar's back this fall, it's going to be because there was a long-term deal struck. Whether it's because the Ravens match an offer sheet, whether it's because the Ravens work out a long-term deal with them themselves, which they can still do. They've got till July to do. That's not out of the realm of possibility. He'd be back on a long-term deal, but it would be about, you know, making sure you walk back and you're in a good working relationship and you don't feel like he would be in a position then to, you know, try and influence the process in a way that would reflect the souring of that relationship. And so, again, I think this move can be largely seen as quarterback agnostic, but at this point where we're at with Lamar and the Ravens, Everything is about Lamar. Everything they do is going to tie back to the most important position on the field. And a move like this, again, underscores what we've talked about the whole time, which is the timeline. The timeline is one of the most important reasons for this Ravens team, why they cannot afford to take a step back on some rookie quarterback, cannot afford to go out there and get some league average veteran to pop in and try and man the helm on this because where their defense is and where a lot of the rest of their roster is, is at a place that's go time and wants to push for a Super Bowl right now in the side of football that is chock full of incredible quarterback talents. We've done the AFC NFC comparison. It's a juggernaut over on the AFC side. And so to walk into that side of football specifically with the roster that you've got now without one of the real difference makers at quarterback would be the damning part about this, would undermine all of the rest of this. And so this is just yet another move that to me indicates like the Ravens don't really have a choice. They've got to find a way to get this done with Lamar. I feel like he wants to be there. I feel like he wants to be there with OBJ. And I feel like he still wants to win a Super Bowl for that city. I think that's something that's important to him. The valuation isn't there, but... I, I really do think that this is a step in the right direction for a team that could be a Super Bowl contender. Absolutely. So uh, I, I think, again, good signing for them. We'll see now what happens as we get closer and closer to the draft. If there are any of those young receiver prospects that they still want to take a swing on, do you bolster some offensive line depth? And then obviously the biggest question hanging in the balance is, Does a team like the Colts trade back, not get themselves into the quarterback sweepstakes? Do they try and get a deal done before the draft to get Lamar Jackson as an Indianapolis Colt so that can inform how they go about this in the draft? All these things are going to be very exciting as we near the next three weeks leading up to the NFL draft. We will have plenty of time to get to all that. But Brandon... The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And now that the Boston Celtics have slayed the boogeyman in the Miami Heat, Boston fans will feel a little bit more confident about the situation. You can decide right now, and if you're new to DraftKings, you can also check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. 
In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. We do have the NBA playoffs starting this week. The playing tournament gets popping on Tuesday. We'll have a bunch more uh, specific stuff about what's actually going to happen uh, coming up in the NBA playoffs. J.J. Redick going to join us tomorrow to chop that up a little bit. Excited yeah. to talk to him. Obviously, ESPN NBA analyst, longtime NBA veteran, Duke great, and host of Old Man and the Three, an awesome podcast that you guys have probably all seen and listened to. And so we'll get much more into some of what to expect in the postseason, obviously, the Western Conference and all the clutter there, the dominant three teams in the East. Um, but as we're set right now, Brandon, looking at how this is all going to get going here, we've got the playoff bracket sent. Um, the Eastern Conference, you've got the Milwaukee Bucks as the one seed, Celtics as the two seed, Sixers as the three seed, followed by the... Cleveland uh, Cavaliers, the four. The Knicks is the five seed. And then the Nets is the six seed. And in the play-in tournament in the East, you've got Miami as the seventh seed playing the Atlanta Hawks, eight seed. Toronto is the nine playing the Chicago Bulls as the 10 seed. Um, on the Western side, you've got the Nuggets, one seed. Grizzlies, two. Sacramento Kings, three. The Suns, four. The Clippers, five. Golden State at six. And then the seventh seed Lakers will play the eighth seed Minnesota Timberwolves in the play-in game. The ninth seed New Orleans Pelicans will play the Oklahoma City Thunder in that play-in game. Those games start on Tuesday. And remember, the play-in schedule is still a couple years old now. How it works, if you're the seven or eight seed, you only got to win one game. You win that 7-8 matchup, you're in the dance. If you're the 9 or 10 seed, you've got to win two. You've got to beat whoever's in that matchup there. And then the winner of the 9-10 game moves on to play the loser of the 7-8 game. And whoever wins that game then gets the final spot in the postseason on either side. So just a reminder, since we know that's still something somewhat new. And Brandon, uh, since your Los Angeles Lakers are going to play the Timberwolves, this feels especially relevant with what went on yesterday because the Timberwolves couldn't stop beating the shit out of themselves uh, over the course of this weekend. I want to under I want to start with this. The Timberwolves beat the Pelicans on Sunday in their last regular season game. That happened. You would not know Crazy. that because during that game one of their breakout young stars in Jaden McDaniels got lost for the season by fracturing his right hand, punching the wall in frustration. And Rudy Gobert might pop, might get a suspension after punching their uh, his teammate Kyle Anderson in the huddle during that game. Brandon, two things come to mind here. One, incredible for the Los Angeles Lakers and the league that certainly I'd imagine deep down in places they don't want to talk about at parties absolutely would much rather see that team move on than a Grizzlies team, even if Anthony Edwards is awesome, and even if I love watching him do every any, anything and everything. But two... Yeah, the Timber, Timberwolves... Man, oh, Grizzly man. switch. Oh, strike that. Reverse it. Uh, Timberwolves. But number two, man, do people hate Rudy Gobert. Like, he seems Oof. to be one of the lowest Q ratings 
of any player in the league, as soon as his name gets thrown back into the conversation, it is immediately time to get roasted. Every part of this video, him backing away after the punch, his decision to do it in general, all of it just got him roasted. Draymond Green came back out of the woodworks to pull back an incredible call. Do you remember when Draymond punched Jordan Poole before the season? Yes. Rudy Gobert around that time, I think in a way that wasn't wholly unrelated, tweeted out, insecurity is always the loudest. And so what wow. did Draymond Green tweet? The exact same thing right wow. after this happened. Draymond Green remains the NBA's most potent troll. And, and Rudy Gobert remains the... I don't even know what to call him, Mike, because I don't want to pick on the dude, but it just seems like I wouldn't want to be... He doesn't seem like a good hang. I'll just say that. And he also seems like a suspect basketball player. And, like, all these things combined, and the fact that he started the pandemic. Like, I just don't... I, Rudy Gobert, I can't trust him. <laughs> I think all of that kind of does play into it. Like, that image of Rudy Gobert playing way too much going around touching microphones at the start of a global pandemic is never going to be wiped off his record talk about him being a hang clearly wasn't a good enough hang to where donovan mitchell made sure he got his way up out that jazz group essentially broke up because donovan mitchell did not want to play with rudy gobert anymore and the style of play also absolutely a factor into that because now in the NBA, if you're just a seven footer who plays a lot of defense, we're looking at you. So like, that's it. Like you, you can't do any, you can't yeah. shoot threes. You can't ball handle. You can't do any of the rest of this stuff here. And apparently that was kind of the subject of the uh, argument between Kyle Anderson and Rudy Gobert having to watch Adrian Wojnarowski censor a tweet where he basically gave us that hot goss that was going on tweeted ESPN sources, Minnesota's Rudy Gobert escalated a verbal argument to a physical encounter after Kyle Anderson told him to shut the bleep up, bitch. The disagreement started with Anderson telling Gobert to block some shots, Gobert telling him to grab a rebound, and ended with a punch and Gobert getting sent home. Now, the punch wow. was more like an offensive lineman football punch where it looked kind of like an open hand shove, didn't really look like a closed fist, didn't really seem like he was ready to be about it, but hearing it spelled out this way... That it yeah. was an argument, and we know there was probably a lot more that went into that. Clearly, once he's you know once he called them the names and stuff like that, that was the thing that set Gobert over the edge. Yeah. But the idea that this boils down to a reminder of how dumb the things we argue about in sports, like go get a rebound, go block a shot, I'm gonna punch you now, is a hilarious bit of like the outside world watching sports being reminded how ridiculous this is. I don't know. I think it validates all of the sports church leagues that we've all found ourselves in over time. Uh, people who still try to get some hoop action. It's like, at the end of the day, it's like, what is your big ass doing not getting boards? What is your big ass doing? What are you doing? Go get some boards. 
Well, and you know how it is, especially when people might not get along with you all that well. And it's never really seemed like Anthony Edwards and the rest of the guys in this Grizzlies team really get down with Rudy like that. And so when you're already the guy that personally might be grading on people a little bit, it makes everything you do as a player, if it's not perfect, all of a sudden subject to you just getting blasted by a guy in Kyle Anderson, whose name I literally just learned because of this today, would not have (laughs) known of his existence in the NBA before that. True, Mike, but I do want to give Rudy Gobert some respect. He has done a lot of accolade things with his in, in the NBA career. Uh, as much as I want to try to compare him to Sean Bradley to like try to, you know, sun him a little bit. He he there's those years where he was scoring too, as well as doing all the block shots. But guess what? He had Donovan Mitchell on that team. And I feel like that 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 made a, a big difference. When they sent Rudy Gobert to the Timberwolves. No basketball analyst, uh, amateur or elite status thought, wow, that makes the Timberwolves a contender. Yeah, we weren't putting together super team graphics. Bleacher Report and all those <laughs> aggregation accounts weren't going, who's stopping this offense? Or who's stopping Uh-oh. this starting five? The Like, no one was doing that. No one was excited about this move. You're absolutely right. For a guy that, yes, multi-time defensive player of the year, has a bunch of those accolades, is a legitimately game-altering defensive presence, but all that other stuff clearly matters enough, and now it's going to end up with them probably getting bounced early in a way that everyone's going to be happy with because I can't imagine they are going to field the optimal roster that you want to play against the Lakers coming up in this play-in game. The other uh, wild bit of NBA newsery over the weekend, the Mavericks just punting on the playoffs. The Mavericks on Friday rested all of their key starters, Kyrie Irving, a number of other players, and then played Luka Doncic for like a quarter and a half and then pulled him out of the game, and now they're getting investigated by the NBA for the motivations behind that decision. I mean, the motivation behind that decision is the seven-foot freak show named Vin, uh, Victor Wambanyana, who's getting ready to be the number one overall pick in this draft. Like, Adam Silver can do everything he wants to try and curb tanking in the NBA can try and do everything and they have changed the odds around the draft lottery which this was a big reason why dallas did what they did at least as we theorize on the outside they currently have the 10th best draft odds right now they've still got to send a protective pick to new york for the porzingis deal so they need this pick to be really good for them and needed to give themselves every chance they could versus that slim chance of making the play-in tournament with a team that hasn't played defense that's going to get you anywhere close to a championship all year long and a struggle with the of Kyrie Irving and um, and Luka Doncic on the court at the same time. The Mags went five and eleven when Luka and Kyrie were both in the starting lineup at a thir- uh, at a at a thirty one point three percent winning percentage. It ranks as the worst winning percentage by a pair of All Star teammates since the merger, according to ESPN stats and info. None of this was working well right now, and their Damn. only goal around Dallas is does it add up to keeping Luka Doncic happy? Because you had Mm -hmm. Tim McMahon and those guys all reporting that there was some internal worry about the idea that Luka might be able to push for a trade if he's unhappy with the current direction of the team. He came out after the game on Sunday and said, I'm happy here, we don't have to worry about that. Said all the right things publicly, but 
This was a season where we saw Luka Doncic as frustrated as he's ever been, publicly talking about basketball. He said on record, it's the most frustrating season of his basketball career, and you took the swing on Kyrie Irving and missed pretty badly in how that went. You still might be able to salvage that, getting him on a deal going forward, but he's now walking into free agency, so that's not guaranteed. And so everything you do as an organization has to continue to be catered around. Does this give us the best chance to maximize Luka Doncic's tenure? And with a legitimate like bona fide number one prospect that people are excited about in a way that we haven't seen in quite some time it feels like the math clearly added up in this situation into bleep that play in tournament bleep the potential fine that may come and i think mark cuban and the mavs have been fined like six or eight hundred grand before in 2018 for accusations of tanking you'll eat all that if it gets you even this much closer to getting the big vic of your dreams in the draft that seems pretty clear yeah i'd like to think of or i'd like to go back and see all the teams that were in contention of getting lebron james outside of cleveland the last couple games of the season like you're you're not we're not going to jeopardize our future by winning these little play these little games especially now with the mavs the mavs need to do uh, some holistic rebuilding and i think jason kidd knows that more than anyone else so he's out there playing we said it a lot on this podcast chestnut checkers he's i mean and he said all this pretty much out loud after that game he said understand decisions like this sometimes are hard in this business you have to make hard decisions we're trying to build a championship team and sometimes you got to take a step back understanding with this decision this may be a step back but hopefully it leads to going forward that's as close to saying yeah we're tanking as you can say based on how badly this went like they were in the playoff they were one of the top six seeds in the west and then in the last two months have completely shit the bed. And so they had to make an adjustment on the fly. They had to find a way to change this up to make sure, again, they keep the most important person in their building happy, who's just one year into that extension that he signed with the Mavs. But as we've seen, star players can get what they want. And so you're going to have to live with that constant fear. It is the thing LeBron James and others for years have weaponized in the name of power inside of organizations to get the things that they want done. And at this point, Dallas hasn't proven themselves very capable of fielding a team around Luka Doncic. And so if he wants a little bit more influence or say so you could hardly fault him at this point because Dallas has not gone out and done right by him without that as part of the process leading up to now and Brandon I just I look at this now with them and I think it also comes down to how you personally feel about tanking in general like Mm -hmm. if it's some sort of like real affront like I see a lot of people who are really affront like offended by this idea And I feel like it's less and less because as we've gone on, we've seen from a lot of fans, they want their team to actually get good. Fans of a team are always as acutely aware of what's really wrong with a roster or an organization as anybody. And I can understand why Adam Silver, you don't want this. You want everyone trying to have the arrow pointing up. You don't want a whole fan base, a whole consumer base, getting a mid product in the name of something that's to come later on. It doesn't help you put asses in seats or put numbers on TV uh, ratings right now. But 
I've never been one of those people that's really looked at it as all that bad. There's only so many teams over the course of a long NBA season that are interesting enough for us to even cover anyway or for the vast majority of the public to care about anyway. And so if those couple of very bad teams just choose to purposely be extra bad for the course of one season in the hopes of being bad for less long, like I understand, trust the process, the whole exercise with the 76ers made this feel a lot more like calculated and I shouldn't say it because it is pretty calculated but it made it feel a lot bigger than it is which is just the idea of hey we're better served by this outcome than that outcome for the long-term health of this team and that's what happened here with the Mavs so I have I've, I've always had zero problem with it because again for me it's easy as an outsider to watch and say yeah if you're not one of the top teams here that we really care about that we believe has a chance to do this because this isn't March Madness this isn't a tournament that's single elimination where anything can happen. You can get San Diego State and FAU in the Final Four. These are seven-game series. The best team usually wills out and finds a way to win. And so that, to me, is really what tilts the math, especially, again, cannot stress this enough, when you've got the looming idea of such a compelling number one overall prospect in this upcoming draft. Yeah, I would say I'm not a fan of tanking for the NFL, just because of the lack of games and uh, just how if somebody's dogging it, it could get somebody injured versus the blue chips-ness of the NBA, or not NBA, but basketball specifically and what it, how easy it is to just sit your starters and have everyone else play their hardest and you'll lose that game. Like, And I, I, think, I think NBA draft prospects – are more surefire bets than the quarterbacks that are being uh, tanked for that's come in the first five couple picks of the draft or first first ten picks of the draft. So I do have an issue with tanking when it comes to football, but with basketball, like, yeah, do the best you can to get that next generational player because they come even farther and fewer in between in the NBA than it seems like in the NFL. Well, I think it's also too just in the NBA, you know, that one player is going to affect both ends of the court for you because that's how basketball works. Like it's more of a math problem. One player can have a far bigger effect on what goes on in an NBA basketball court than even one great quarterback can have on an NFL football team. It can affect a lot. And we see people do a lot in the name of finding a generational quarterback. That's always going to be the case. But in basketball, that impact is one of five is always just, you know, such a big part of this. And so uh, happy trails to to the Dallas Mavericks uh that had to be a miserable last couple of months for everyone and Ooh. so enjoy that vacation and likely the impending fine from the league office um Brandon let's get to uh roses it's Monday around here give out some roses to some deserving winners uh bachelor and bachelorette style we each get two I want to start this one off with the surest bet in sports right now seems to be the infamous tungsten arm O'Doyle, Shohei Atani, and Mike Trout tweet becoming more and more prophetic as the days go on. For anyone that's not familiar with this, Matt, uh, Matt, O'Mi- Matt O'Mike, I guess is the name uh, on Twitter, 
uh, had a very viral, very well-known tweet right now in internet circles that said, every time I see an Angels highlight, it's Mike Trout hit three home runs and raised his batting average to 528, while Shohei Itani did something that hasn't been done since Tungsten Armo Doyle of the 1921 Akron Groomsmen as the Tigers defeat the Angels 8-3. to This idea that no matter how good these two superstar players have been, the Angels have always found a way to suck and keep them out of the playoffs. Well, courtesy of Optistats... The Angels over the weekend became the first Major League Baseball team to have a pair of former MVPs in Shohei Itani and Mike Trout each get an extra base hit, but have the rest of the team go hitless since the Yankees did it with Mickey Mantle and Roger Maris on May 6th in 1962. It is just unreal how art has created life in this situation and that team just continues to find new ways to fail. I mean, time is a flat circle. And also, this these are very ESPN stats, so I'm I'm against them. I mean, it's not. But to be fair, you're right. Like baseball is the king of weird stats that obviously lack a lot of the context that we want to see. But this isn't like a one-off thing for them. This is the the origin story of the tweet has been endless futility for these two guys. It's why we saw them so excited in the World Baseball Classic actually getting to play fun, meaningful baseball as opposed to having to sit home on the sidelines during September and October in the fall when everyone else gets to play in the playoffs and the Angels have found a way to have nothing go right around these two. So it is very much art imitating life. It's just now on the other side, the art is starting to just birth even more of it. Yeah, and by the way, shout out. I think it's Matt to Mike. This uh the handle. Oh, Matt that makes Mike. sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Matt to Mike. What's your first rose, Brandon? Oh shit, I forgot about that. Um, you know what? I'm gonna give it to Drake. I'm gonna give it to Drake. Uh, I have a very, very north north up top. Toronto roses today, but Drake dropped a, a single called Search and Rescue uh, over the weekend. It's very bland. It's milk toast, normal Drake that you've hear, heard before. All the same lyrics recycled and, and uh, remixed. But you ask Brandon, why is he getting a rose then? Well, I'd, I'd love to tell you. Um, the feud between he and Kanye West is continuing because in this song features Kim Kardashian on her t- on the television show speaking to her mother Chris about their relationship woes with Kanye West and the exact quote from the song is um this is Kim Kardashian talking about the divorce on the show I didn't come this far just to come this far and not be happy that's just like a little snippet right But the whole concept of the song, Mike, is Drake is begging someone, some fine female, to take him away from the club life. Like, someone rescue him from living this life of being this famous rapper who needs all of these empty things to fill his his hole that would be just the love in his life. And it's, it's, it's like... The epitome of fake love all over again because I really don't like the single as much as it is just a normal general bop. But the fact that there are strays to Kanye West in this via Kim's voice just seems like a whole other level of of, of shysty and nasty. And I got to give Drake credit. I was going to say that seems that seems kind of gross, especially given what's going on with Kanye. That's uh, that's some that's some low blows from Drake. I guess he had the uh, time. He's cold blooded in that way. 
Yeah, I mean, that seems like Drake's exact level of how he would go about doing all of this. And now this makes sense because I saw a lot of internet debate revived around the uh, beef between him and Pusha T and who actually won that. And uh, now this all makes sense as to why the internet may have been coming for Drake once again. So, yeah. um, Brandon, my second rose is going to go to Travis Kelsey. If anyone didn't see over the weekend, Travis got to throw out the first pitch at the Cleveland Guardians game and absolutely spiked that thing into the center of the earth. He hit that so far out onto the grass, didn't even put it in the dirt, spiked it almost directly into the grass, immediately did the you know sprinting laugh over to the catcher. Brandon, this is a classic case of the mound getting somebody. Now, as someone who also threw out a first pitch in the last, you know, over a year, uh, yeah, inside the last year, didn't have to, wasn't allowed to do it from the mound. I always want to put that caveat. I wanted to throw from the mound. They wouldn't let me, and so I didn't have to deal with that downward force. But talking to my dad, who's throwing out a bunch of first pitches, he always tells people, get out there and get some practice on the mound because you're going to want to aim a little bit higher or else you're going to end up spiking that thing like my dad did mm. on his first pitch. This one looked like a guy who had not thrown a baseball in a while and definitely didn't heed any of the advice when people told him to get on the mound and get some looks at it would be my guess. That or did this for content because as soon as it happened, I said, well, that's going to be a great reaction story on the New Heights podcast coming up this next week. And Ah. I would appreciate the pro wrestling in Travis Kelsey if he had gone out there purposely thrown this for viral clicks to bring people back to the pod chestnut checkers yeah he i i love that theory mike mainly because i'm a conspiracy theorist but after he spiked that thing into the ground he started sprinting over to the catcher in a way that like i he was trying to clean it up so i'm just like you know trying to run after you uh, get caught stumbling and falling but I, i wanted to see him really just be hurt in that moment that he that he grounded that thing, like that he spiked the ball, and like I, I wanted him to, to, I wanted to see. I didn't want the explanation tweet later on. I wanted to see him feel the 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 f up, because he because you can't do that. I mean, that's the only thing you can do in that situation is try and laugh it off. That's a hundred percent how you get through it. You're still out there to smile and wave and be a celebrity that's being acknowledged there. He's an Ohio guy. He's out there supporting the True. local team. You can't like sulk your head and go through it like that. You got to try and put on a brave face. Okay, okay. Yeah, you're you're expecting him to do the laugh like <laughs> my bad when like inside. I want to see him finally show some emotion. You're a Super Bowl champion. You got everything in the world coming to you. You're back at home in Ohio. Let me see. Let me see you hurt a little bit because because you effed up. God, that's you. You got some darkness in there, there friend. I'm <laughs> just saying. Everybody can just laugh everything off. I host SNL once and and you can. Uh, Ground every pitch uh, from the mound. Don't do that. I'm just saying. Oh, there I'm it is. Saying. I see, I see what's happening here. Okay. You think I'm jealous? I'm not jealous. A little bit. Okay. My Rose. Speaking of I'm not jealous. being jealous. Biggest, oh, and the Kardashians. Wow. Uh, full circle here. My second Rose, Tristan Thompson. Tristan Thompson, will you accept oh the first? Hey. Got signed to the Lakers, baby. Like all that, all that politicking for himself on on ESPN worked, and he, apparently the workouts did as well. He'll be wearing number nine. Uh, Darvin Ham says uh, that he brings 
years of championship level basketball, championship pedigree, great guy all around, great teammate. I've heard nothing but great things about him. Like this is just another LeBron James signing, and shouts out to them because uh, all those people that have won championships via the LeBron James friendship. Very important because every roster needs to get filled out. Like you said, affects both sides of the ball, uh, offense and defense as an NBA player. But Tristan Thompson being able to sit back and and just correct people for saying accurate critiques about LeBron James all year long just to end up as a teammate of his and wearing his jersey number flipped. Like him wearing number nine is just so poetic for me. Uh, I'm excited for them to make a playoff push. The long-storied and very lucrative history of being an end-of-the-bench player that LeBron James trusts enough to have around, really one of the best gigs. It's like being a bullpen catcher or being the third-string quarterback on an NFL roster. If you're an old player who's been around LeBron before and he somehow values or trusts, there is nothing that won't happen. Like I saw that someone the other day like put out the story or the tweet talking about Thanasis Antetokounmpo and asking if he would still be in the league. Oh. Oh, if yeah, he wasn't Giannis's brother and like we all you know yeah if we we all kind of knew that like we all kind of understand that's probably part of it would Tristan Thompson be in the league right now if LeBron James didn't like him no that's how this <laughs> stuff works so I like this is another prime example of this is a great place to be knowing LeBron James and being valued enough there and having been his teammate before and, and the difference uh, between being able to trust uh, your friend who's, you know, bros before whatever versus like if I was in a relationship with Tristan Thompson, I wouldn't trust him as much as I can pick him up or throw him. He seems to be very uh, committed to not being committed. Like, I, I don't I don't I understand LeBron trusts him as a basketball player, but you got to take the whole person. I mean, in pro sports, not really. It's like this is the ultimate testament to he must really handle his business inside the building when he's around LeBron. And maybe right. it's different with him than anybody else, but man, he must really be a teammate that actually goes out there and crosses his T's and dots his I's and does all that stuff in a way that doesn't show up in the relationship stat book. Or else he probably wouldn't be like if LeBron if he was treating LeBron James the same way he had been acting in all of these relationships outside of sports, probably wouldn't be back on the team. So one would imagine he's probably a little bit better at this version of his job and that's why he gets to have it again so uh and again because the timberwolves all decided to beat the shit out of each other he's probably got a nice ticket into the big dance in the rest of the playoff out of the playing tournament so uh christian thompson tristan thompson uh enjoy the rose and the uh lucrative trip to the playoffs um at gojo show on twitter uh hit us up if we missed any brandon time to bring it on home do you know what time it is <sighs> had to slow down mike I don't know if you know about Tony Braxton, but uh, she can sing. So I just need Lamar to unbreak my heart. Come on back. Don't leave me in all this pain. Don't leave me out in the rain. Come back and bring. Come and take my tears away. I need Lamar to hold me now These nights are so unkind Bring back those nights when you held you beside me Unbreak my heart Say this, that, and the third 
undo this hurt that you caused when you walked out the door and walked out of my life uncry these tears i cried so many nights this that and the third the third I can tell the the ones where it actually is connecting to something real for you always shine through a little bit. And the Lamar Jackson ad on this definitely you 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 put your whole ass into that. <sighs> just every reason for him to just just unbreak all of Ravens fans' hearts. Just unbreak them. Eric DaCosta, man, listen to Brandon's words. Go ahead and unbreak this heart. Uh if Brandon unbroke your heart, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review. Tell him what a great job he did. Brandon, let's get to this, that, and the third. Yes. Three quick shots to end the day. One of them checks the box of Brandon Bingo. Uh, we've already got plenty of entries into that. Mentions of Drake on this podcast here. We didn't get any <laughs> L.A. traffic updates, but we now get to talk about the Louisville Cardinals, and that would be their women's basketball program. Over the weekend, Haley Van Lith, star guard, entered the transfer portal uh, surprisingly uh, leaving the Louisville Cardinals now, she is going to get her degree in May, so she would technically be a graduate student, which used to, like, she would have been eligible to transfer and go anywhere immediately uh, available to play in the old world. When you and I came up in college athletics, right. if you had received your degree, you could be a not graduate transfer and go to any program and be immediately eligible because in that amateur, you know, student-athlete, heavy air quotes model getting the degree is the thing that you're there to do. And so once you've gone and fulfilled that, then you get to go and do your thing. And so her entering into there, um, you know, she's averaged double figures in all three of her years at Louisville. She was an honorable mention, all American uh, this season. She was one of two players in the sport to average at least 19 points, four rebounds and three assists last season, along with Caitlin Clark from Iowa. So this is a big deal. We talked about her a lot in the trash talking that went on in the tournament with her and yeah. Caitlin Clark going at it. But, you and I watch a lot of Notre Dame basketball, watch a lot of ACC basketball because of that. Haley's been one of the very good players in that conference, has been a thorn in Notre Dame's side. And so this is a big-time piece of movement and continues to underscore the stars that are driving women's college basketball right now. We've talked about a lack of them on the men's side. Now we've got one involved in player movement, this other part of college basketball that feels like a lot like NBA free agency type energy into the offseason. Yeah, and I like it too. And I like the I like the move for her just mainly because she can do this anywhere. Like she may even be heading to see uh Coach Ivy over there at, at Notre Dame, Mike. I, I feel like this step for her is to try to get coaching to kind of get more polished for the WNBA and also, just add some intrigue into teams going into the tournament next year. Not if it's not the tournament, we've got a whole season before that. But Louisville, I don't know if they're in a position to be making a, a push, especially not with her talents on the team. Yeah, I mean, listen, they had a they had a successful run this season, but 
could be especially for someone with name value like her could be some nil considerations in this could just Mm. want to change scenery want to spend one year somewhere else and really try and latch on with a title contender she did according to mitchell northam she listed herself in the portal with the do not contact designation which means coaches of other programs aren't able to contact her with recruiting pitches which a lot of people have taken to believe that she already knows where she wants to go the tampering idea that players are getting talked to by other programs even while they're doing this i've also seen some other stuff though where this could also be her way of just controlling the process which is something players have done more and more of and saying no she'll reach out and contact the stools that she wants to potentially visit with and she wants to potentially play for as opposed to having to deal with the deluge on the other side i would imagine it's probably more likely to be the tampering thing and she probably already has an idea of where she wants to go but there is that other option the more player empowerment route but either way going to be a big deal wherever she lands up uh and going to be very interesting to watch as we continue to see uh women's college basketball having a big time big time moment coming off the tournament uh brandon let's get to that Tennessee Titans D lineman Jeffrey Simmons got the bag, agreeing in principle to a four-year, $94 million contract extension with $66 million in guaranteed and a $24 million signing bonus, uh, sources told ESPN. That man is a bunch of weaponized fire hydrants that came together like Voltron to beat offensive linemen's ass. He has been one of the most physically imposing defensive linemen in the NFL for a while. Brandon, remember he had an ACL injury, I believe training for his pro day when he was coming out of Mississippi State, still ended up getting taken as a first-round draft pick and has been the anchor inside on a Titans defensive line that the last couple of seasons has really been great at harassing quarterbacks with a four-man rush. So really important as we see the Titans kind of in a bit of a transition phase right now we'd heard the talk of Derrick Henry potentially getting shopped wondering what Ryan Tannehill's future is going to be look like this was a player you wanted to make sure you kept around on your roster because that defense is certainly up in the front seven not been the problem the last couple of years and regardless you're gonna need cornerstones to build around that guy's a pretty solid dependable one absolutely uh, I, I just I hate that he's not going to a contender because he's that type of player that you would like to see win the big game. But there's full of the NFL is full of just monsters. Like we always talk about what quarterbacks and stuff has dogs in them because it's all cute and fun because we're comparing them to the actual players like him who have an actual dog in him and play like it. Yeah, no, he is. He's got tons of dog in him. The X-ray has like a whole litter of dogs inside that man's chest. Um, (laughs) It's unbelievable. He is. uh, He's a two-time second-team All-Pro. He made a second Pro Bowl last season. He had seven and a half sacks in eight games last year uh or no excuse me had seven and a half sacks despite missing the last eight games last year dealing with an injured ankle so still as potent as ever uh absolute no-brainer great signing for the tennessee titans brandon let's get to the third light up the number one on grace hall baby Woo! here we go if it wasn't already still lit because notre dame fencing had gone back to back to back as national champions 
Light it up again because Notre Dame men's lacrosse is going to be back to number one this week after taking down number one ranked Duke in South Bend, sold out, packed house at Arlotta Stadium between the number one and two teams in the country. Notre Dame lacrosse now three and one in their program's history in one versus two matchups. I think they had two in 2015, one in 2021, and now this most recent win against the Duke Blue Devils. Brennan O'Neill, who on the Blue Devil side has been one of the Tawaraton favorites, the Heisman Trophy for college lacrosse got absolutely blanked by our boy Chris Fake on defense and Notre Dame firmly in the mix I have been riding the wave with this team all year Brandon I am really asking any god that will listen to just get them to championship weekend so I have a reason to book a flight to Philadelphia and go hang out in the city of brotherly love and watch these guys potentially get the first national championship in program history it was electric how important is seeding in the in the lax tourney So incredibly important this year because basically college lacrosse this year is a three-team race between Notre Dame, Virginia, and Duke, as most people handicap it right now. You've got Maryland, who's the defending champions. You've got maybe one of the Ivies, one or two of the Ivies that are really going to be in the mix. But for the most part, Notre Dame, Duke, and Virginia have been the three teams in the mix up top. And so if you're any of those teams, you just want it so you don't have to play the other until you get to Final Four weekend. That's really Mm. the only goal. Because if any of those teams see each other, in the quarterfinals you're obviously going to lose one of the best teams early on and so yeah seating is going to matter up top just making sure one of them doesn't stub their toe down the stretch of the season and Notre Dame's got to play Virginia again coming up uh here pretty soon has a matchup against North Carolina coming up soon so they got some tough games down the stretch but that's definitely going to be key for Notre Dame and Duke who were also uh the first two teams out of the tournament last year in an absolutely foobar situation that they have now remedied with fire and brimstone and a ton of goals this season. So very jacked up about that one. We'll have plenty more college lacrosse talk as we get closer to the tournament. We really get to get get in the bag here. But uh, Brandon, if people enjoyed this podcast and somehow made it to the end for lacrosse talk, I appreciate you. And I hope you'll download, subscribe, rate, review, leave us a five-star rating, and check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel under the Gojo with Michael Jr. tab. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Happy birthday, Michelle. Love you. Boom. Money in the bank.